Welcome to the Nerd Normie Podcast. I'm a big film nerd, Everett. And I'm Emerald, and I'm engaged to a nerd. On this week's episode, we will be covering Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, directed by Jeff Rowe. And Infinity Pool, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. For both of these movies, we will go over non-spoilers first, and then spoilers. There will be timecodes down in the description below. Let's get into it. We must use stealth and cunning to infiltrate the human world and retrieve Go-Gurt. Okay, Batman. Dude, what? I'm just trying to hype you guys up. Let's go! Alright, this week I picked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, directed by Jeff Rowe. Uh, it stars Micah Abbey, Shaman Brown, Nicholas Cantu, and Brady Noon as the titular Turtles, as well as Io Edibiri as April. Um, you have Jackie Chan as Splinter, Ice Cube as Superfly, uh, and a ton of other big names. Stock yeah. <laughs> cast playing small roles in background and whatnot. Um, I weirdly I know all of the turtles. I know most of the villains. I know like about them. I've been a Donatello fan my whole life. I don't know that I've ever actually watched anything Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before this officially like watch the show or no I've watched the movies it was just a part of culture growing up for me is you knew who the turtles were and which one was your favorite and it was Raphael for me and it still is <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so I'm not you know a big fan however I liked the look of this animation style um I was happy I like Seth Rogen's work i don't love all his movies but i think that in there is a very talented creative and i so... love him i love him <laughs> so much <laughs> i raunchy comedies are not my thing i love seth rogan but again i don't usually always you know vibe with his movies um but i was excited for this one because i knew he wouldn't be allowed to push it too far because it's for kids um it's for older kids, though. It's it for does older say kids. a couple swear words. <laughs> there's a couple swear words. There's some innuendos. There's plenty of, you know, violence and action. But it's not, you know, an R-rated raunchy comedy. Correct. Um, and so I was excited because I knew that I could actually go into this one excited to see what he brought to it uh, and what all of the team brought to this. And I would say they crushed it. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I can definitely see this being a very popular movie, um, being, you know, this generation's introduction to the Turtles, and similarly, even if you don't see this, in three years, everyone will know all of the Turtles, and I, from what I've heard, there's already sequels and TV shows and stuff in the work with these characters, like this version of the Turtles, um, and easy to see why. I think this, I would be shocked. I would be a little surprised if it does amazing because we've already had super mario we just had barbie and oppenheimer and going to the movies can be expensive so there's a chance that this one won't end up we're recording this before box office results are in um so i could see a world where it does good but not exceptional i hope it's a world where it does really well yeah our theater was pretty full but not packed like it was with Oppenheimer and Barbie 
but still pretty full considering like we yeah, didn't think far it more was full be... than yeah. elemental or little mermaid or anything since the mario in terms of more family friendly films that we've gone i guess spider-verse was more packed yeah um but i think in any other year in which spider-verse doesn't exist this is being talked about as the best animated movie of the year so far um, just in terms of it's got a very unique style to it, it's fun, it's fresh, it brings a lot of stuff to the table that you haven't necessarily seen before. Um, unfortunately, it did come out the same year as Spider-Verse. Yeah. Which I think, at least for me, is still, you know, the best animated movie, if not one of the best movies of the year. I don't know, this one was really good to me. I really, really liked this one. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see why. Um, in terms of, like, the plot, there's a little bit of backstory on how the turtles became the turtles and stuff. Um, but it's not super heavy, I would say, in origin story. You know, it doesn't take the full first act for them to learn to, you know, be ninjas and whatever. It's more explained to you quickly so that you can spend more time. Because we all know and can accept a world in which there are turtles that are mutants and ninjas. Yeah, of course. Um, and so I think it just kind of gets going. And basically they've been living in the sewers. And Splinter, Jackie Chan, hates humans and is very fearful of them for good reason. Uh, and keeps them very sheltered. But of course for... I'm sorry, I just remembered why he was scared of them. And it just... <laughs> anyway we'll go over it in spoilers <laughs> but wow um but anyway so four teenage guys are very desperate to be a part of the world they you know they have access to technology and are watching stuff on their phones all the time and all of that kind of stuff so they know about the outside world and they want to be a part of that which fair enough uh but they're obviously afraid of not being accepted because they're giant freakish ninja turtles. <laughs> um, and then they uh, end up coming across April O'Neil and she wants to be a reporter uh, and they team up to take down Superfly, uh, played by Ice Cube. And as Emerald said, as we were leaving the movie, um, even in a kid's movie, they couldn't keep Ice Cube from swearing <laughs> left and right. It's nothing egregious or anything but it is almost every line he has he does slip in something yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah and then you know they fight so that's your that's your plot if you're looking for that but i think what you go into this movie for more than a heartfelt story and i think this for me is where spider-verse is above this movie is i think the emotional story of this is good it's entertaining, but what's fun is the banter, the humor, the action. Whereas with Spider-Verse, you had really good action and stuff, but what I really loved in that was the emotional story for the characters. Yeah. For me. I might like this one better. Yeah, well, I mean, you didn't even like the first Spider-Verse, so... I did not like the first <laughs> Spider-Verse. I did really like the second one, but I just, yeah, maybe those just aren't for me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the strongest part of this movie, which is for the best, is the four turtles. I think the the four guys that they got in to play them nail the vibe and the feel of each turtle, and they play off each other. And I saw some behind-the-scenes stuff that they put out where the um, Seth Rogen was insistent on having everybody in the room to record lines together. 
um, you know, with COVID and other stuff, it's kind of sometimes gone away and actor schedules and stuff. Oh, it's cheaper. It's easier if we just get people into a box and have them record their lines by themselves and we'll put it all together ourselves. Um, I think this movie really benefits from their ability to just riff off each other and whether it's written or truly improv, I don't know, but it feels like a normal conversation like teen boys goofing around being idiots uh their timing is great there there's scenes where literally you know movies are often afraid to have characters talking over each other but in this one they're bantering all four of them talking at the same time and it's not confusing it's not annoying it's very it just it feels like you're in a room with four teenage boys yeah in the best but in a good way yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's very cute. It's very fun. Um, I am in love with Paul Rudd, uh, but I didn't even realize who he played in this until we just looked up the like cast list, and he is so funny in this. I would say he's probably my favorite character, besides the Turtles, obviously. Interesting. See, I, I thought his character had moments of being funny, but wasn't consistently. Oh, no, I disagree. I think he was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's our uh, non-spoiler thoughts. We will now go into spoilers. If you don't want to hear them, skip ahead. All right, spoilers for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. To spoil this, I guess the main villain, Superfly, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, was a mad scientist who created mutant stuff uh, and was sad and wanted a family so he was making a family of mutant animals and then the government comes in and kills him and or whatever um and and tries to steal the the formula and stuff and it falls down the sewers to create the turtles yeah but but there's also a whole other group of mutants yeah and so the villain is hates humans and humans hate them because they're really gross and grotesque though to be fair the animation style the humans are just as gross and weird looking yeah um (laughs) but yeah so he comes up with a plan he's going to turn every animal into a mutant so that they can kill all the humans and be the best uh and the i think again this is a spot it works it's completely fine i get why he's upset and angry and whatever um but the world domination thing and the turtles to just immediately who have yeah wanted to be a part of human life but at this point have not really benefited in any way from humans i mean they met april yeah they met april but even i think at the point they kind of team up with uh superfly like she they think she's abandoned them because she rides her scooter away, and they're convinced that humans abandon them because they're ugly, but they don't still... And again, they're teenage boys. They're not going to want to kill the whole world. But I just... It felt... I don't know. I think, for me, especially the first movie with these turtles, I would have liked something a little smaller scale. Superfly's going to take over this city. He's going to get revenge on a person, as opposed to just, I'm going to destroy the entire world. I think the complete opposite. For me, it makes more sense because, like, if he just wanted to kill one person, they might be like, oh, yeah, no, he, you know, we don't know that person. Maybe they are really bad. Well, that's... But if it's like you meet someone and you're like, oh, wow, there are people like us, 
but this whole time you've been dreaming of acceptance from the real world and you realize that, like, you've gotten acceptance from one person, even if, like, you don't know if she's abandoned you or whatever. Um, but to have, like, this other group that's, like, accepting you, but then suddenly they want to literally kill everyone on the planet who's not like you, I think it would make more sense to... Because they're not even, like... Heck no, we're not going to do that. They're like, um, I don't really think that's the best idea. You know what I mean? Like, they're very, I think they're very accurate in that. Yeah, well, what I'm saying is that they, the plan is so over the top that there, there was never a moment I believed the turtles might truly join them. Whereas if you tie it more personal, maybe it's somebody they know, maybe it's not, you change who the villain is make the lady who's experimenting on them have helped them in some capacity or that's who they're sneaking away to at night before they meet April and stuff. She's helping give them supplies or do something or give them an end to the life or whatever. And all this kind of stuff so that when this moment comes up and they have to make the decision, they have to make a hard decision as opposed to the easy decision of let's not destroy the whole world. And then also all of the Superfly's underling family people, the turtles just one time go, oh, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill everyone. And then they just all, every single one of them immediately switch and they all fight together. And I just, I wish there was more to that other than obviously the world ending is bad. Let's not kill everyone. See, to me, this feels like a larger scale episode that would have been on Cartoon Network. You know what I mean? Like, this that's how the episodes go, is someone trying to destroy the world, they save them, everything. So it's like, that's kind of how the cartoons played out, and it feels like that, but for a larger audience and a larger scale. Um, and I also, with the whole team flipping, like, yes, they were raised by this person, but the person, or the fly, is barely older than them, and they've been kind of just brainwashed and everything their whole lives into thinking no one else would ever be like them, or no one else could accept them, and then they meet other people, or other turtles that are like them, and are accepting of them, and they realize they have somewhere else to go that's not just by themselves forever, and it kind of makes sense to me. I don't know. Yeah, I'm... I don't disagree with that. It makes sense. What I'm saying is they should have, or what I would have liked is a little more gray, is it was too easy. It makes complete, of course, you're going to switch. The guy wants to kill the whole world. Like, just a little more nuance and a little more internal struggle for the characters. It was too simple for everyone to make the right decision at each turn. And so I would have liked a little bit more from that for me and I also I think now going forward every movie and every season of any show they make has to be they're gonna have to try and one-up this and the fact that your first movie you did ending the entire world and a massive destruction of New York City with literal like streets getting collapsed and buildings knocked over the next movie is going to have to do the same thing or more and I if you had done this one a little more personal and then built your way up, it, I think, would have worked 
better. I don't know. I mean, it's a kid's movie. I feel like comparing it to Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. But that's what I'm saying is, like, is movies like a Puss in Boots I really connected with, uh, Spider-Verse. It's out there. It's possible. This, as you said, is not for little kids. This is for middle school teenagers. You know, you're starting to see the world in different ways and you don't need just a black and white movie all the time and I think there was the space for it they didn't take their chance I'm, again I really really enjoyed this movie I just think that was if I had changed anything would have been the thing I changed my only beef is that Leonardo's in love with a human and that means they're probably all gonna fall in love with humans and if they were born mutants that were partially human it wouldn't skeeve me out as much but the fact that they were regular little baby turtles that got mutinized and now they're in love with people skeeves me out I don't know that's my only beef. Other than that, I think it was a good storyline. I think it matched up with the cartoons, matched up with my expectations, and I thought it was very good. Yeah. There we go. That's our thoughts. Wait, uh, we didn't oh. rate it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. What would you rate it? I will give it an 8 out of 10. I would give it an 8, 8.5. Alrighty. That's our thoughts on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Seems very dangerous. You eat danger for breakfast. Actually, I eat pizza with bits of waffles on it. All right. Um, so my pick for this week was supposed to be the Meg 2. We even watched the Meg 1 to prepare because he hadn't seen it, but we had such a busy weekend we couldn't get out for it. So I picked one on streaming that's newer that I heard good things about on TikTok, which was Infinity Pool, uh, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Um and we did not like it. Uh, we looked away for half of it because it was gross. Um, and I don't really know what to say about it that's not a spoiler. Um, it's about a couple that goes on a vacation and they meet another couple and then gross bad stuff happens. But <laughs> I don't really know how to not spoil it with this. They. They go out, and when they're driving back to their resort, something bad happens, and they're kind of, I guess, connected by this tragedy, but they're really not. It doesn't make sense why they would be, and everything that follows just, it only makes sense because man is gross. <laughs> yeah, um, if you know anything about the Cronenbergs and their filmography, uh, particularly Papa Cronenberg David, um, they love to show the worst. Uh, David Cronenberg helped invent the genre of body horror. Um, I wouldn't say this one has too much in the way of body horror, no, it's just it's sexual just horror. Gross. Yeah. And so it loses the artistry of David Cronenberg's films and the innovative pushing the boundary in exchange for very surface level what's the grossest thing we can do right now? What's something yeah. ridiculous that people haven't or don't want to watch? And then claim that it's artistic or a statement or a satire of some sort yeah. when it's really not it's trying it's like he's trying to one-up his dad but in every worst way possible yeah yeah um 
And I think this is the type of movie that gives critics a bad name. The critic score on Rotten Tomatoes sits at an 87%. The audience score sits at like a 50%. And the audience is correct. This is not a good movie. (laughs) The storyline is not good. The acting is fine. Weird choices were made. Um, And Visually very distracting. The shots, I think a lot of people are, ooh, it's artsy, it's innovative. They're not doing traditional coverage of a scene. But what it felt like to me, so when you make like a film, you create your your shot list. And the way I was always taught to do it, you put your artsy flare shots at the bottom of the list and save them for the end of the day because you might not have time to shoot the rest of the scene if you spend all your time trying to make these artsy shots work. But the benefit of not making everything super artsy and just shooting stuff very standard basic is you at least make the scene make sense. And then hopefully you have time to shoot some cool stuff at the end to make your film a little more flary. This movie has no conventional moments that are shot in a normal fashion. It's all these stupid tight shots and really hard to get focus and pulls and changing of motion and just i don't want to watch a full conversation before any of the drama has happened of just people's mouths talking yeah it's weird like you can't see their expressions it's just it's weird yeah and i i like some very weird out there art house films but they need to come with a point they like at the end of this all i thought was ew brandon cronenberg's gross not ew society's gross ew this type of person's gross ew i don't like that this thing happens and there's a very surface level i guess commentary on wealth and status in the world i guess in the most flimsy of terms. It's like a footnote at the end of the film. It almost got good for like two seconds towards the end, and then they ruined it again. Yeah. Yeah, and I just... And I think the concept, again, is there. I like the idea of this film, the world it's created, and I think you could have made a really scathing, commentary, satirical movie... And they just, instead of doing anything with it, just want to show naked people doing gross stuff. Yeah. And it really sucks because I really want to like Mia Goth. I really, really want to. I think she's a great actress. I think she's, like, interesting looking. That makes her very pretty in, like, an unusual for Hollywood way. I really, really would like to like her but every movie that she's been in makes me want to punch her in the face. Like, Pearl? Awful. X? Awful. This? Awful. Like, I don't understand the choices that she's making because she could be a very great actress. Yeah. I mean, I guess I shouldn't, you know, expect anything different with her being with Shia LaBeouf because he's also weird. But, like, eh. Yeah. And at least with, with Pearl... She got to be the focus, and so even though I don't love that movie, there are moments in which you can really see the talent that is Mia Goth. That's why I want to like her. <laughs> and then there's X, which I can see why some people enjoy that type of movie. 
It's kind of a campy retro horror slasher. That was the first movie we went to together <laughs> on a date. It was like our third date. I knew what it was about. I did not know what it was about. I did not know it was a <laughs> porno. It was awful. It was so bad. It was a weird experience. And but, maybe I yeah. could like that if it wasn't our third date, but since it was, we were both mortified. <laughs> yeah. So maybe not the best circumstances to watch that movie. I probably wouldn't have liked it anyway. I don't like slashers. I don't love pornographic type movies. So it probably wasn't for me. Um, but I can see why for a certain type of person, that's a really great, enjoyable camp type film. And then with this, again, you've got an interesting concept. If I read the script, I might be persuaded because I don't know on like in the script how much of those montages would have been so spelt out. Cronenberg wrote it too, yeah. so it probably would be. Well... Yeah, maybe, but also because he's writing and he knows he's directing, maybe some of the really long, long sexual scenes would have been a little more abbreviated in the script, and then he brought stuff to them in You mean the rehearsal. script wouldn't say 15 minutes of pulsing nipple? Because <laughs> well, that is what the movie is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess that's all we can say uh, without going into any spoilers. Um I would never recommend this to anybody. Me either. Not even as a joke. Mm-mm. So, let's move into spoilers. Okay, so spoilers for this film. This couple goes to a resort. In the resort, they meet another couple. The other couple lures them out to do a fun activity. Mia Goth weirdly does sexual things with the husband. Yeah. That is so graphic and yucky. Yep. I, we don't need to see that. Yeah, and Alexander Skarsgård plays the the author guy, and he is a apparently a very bad author who's not very successful in any right, and it's been six years since his one failed book came out, and Mia Goth is able to like prey on his vanity, um, and he married super wealthy in his actual wife played by cleopatra coleman um and yeah she she's the only likable human in this whole thing yeah I, I would agree with that um yeah and so they get they get lured out and then yeah and so she he allows mia goth to let him cheat on his wife with his wife 10 feet away which is yucky already and then they go to drive home and most of them are drunk and he's really tired but he decides to drive anyways and then he drops something and gets distracted and they hit a man with their car um and the other couple is like we'll take care of it nothing bad will happen to you just go back to the resort and then they immediately go turn them into the police and he gets arrested and in this country that they live in um when someone gets arrested or whatever they usually get sentenced to death and when they're sentenced to death if like for murder the oldest son would be the one to kill them um but rich people don't have to die if they can pay and so they pay and they make like an exact double of him with all his memories and everything and the victim's son goes out and kills him and then he realizes that it's like a weird cult situation, except for he doesn't actually ever come to that conclusion. He just immediately joins their weird doubling cult. His poor little wife is confused and just wants to go home because she's normal. 
And then they spend the rest of the movie doing weird sex crimes and dying or watching their doubles die. And it's just gross and weird. They do drugs and have just a montage of sex and orgies and grossness with weird body parts oozing and growing. And it's just disgusting. And then towards the end... um, Alexander Skarsgård's character finally realizes, hey, this might be kind of messed up. So he tries to escape and they stop him. And then they're just making fun of him and being like, you thought we actually wanted to be friends with you, but we actually hate you and we think you're stupid. And we never even read your book. You're a bad author. And it was like, if that's kind of how it ended, I could have been like, okay. Because that was like almost... A commentary on the movie itself and I thought that's where it was going but then it didn't and then it just got worse where he breastfeeds on Mia Goth for like 10 minutes straight and then I don't even remember how it ends because it was just that I bad he, no he goes on a, he is almost gonna go home and he goes to oh, the airport yeah. and they go home and then he decides not to go home and then sits in the rain looking like a sad little wet dog and then it's over I yeah. hate it. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the couple of good things in this, the concept of this place where when you commit a crime and you're sentenced to death, you can pay to get your way out of it and you get the thrill almost for these weird messed up people to watch yourself be murdered uh, and not have to suffer any consequence is an interesting way to deal with wealth. And he's yeah. not himself rich, which I thought was going to come into it because they made a lot of references to the fact that he has not made money. His, His wife. wife has, and it's under her name, and everything's under her name. And I thought she was going to cut him off, and then he wasn't going to be able to double himself anymore. But that just never Yeah, and that, that would have been good too. Because, like, yeah, the doubling thing, good, good idea, good plan. The rest of the movie disgusting disgusting awful horrible yeah and then yeah so it doesn't capitalize on this concept and then again as we were saying at the end it almost becomes a commentary of itself for a brief moment um which was kind of interesting uh and not that i'd watch it again or recommend it because of that change but i was intrigued again and not miserable for the first time in a long time in that movie probably because it was the first time in the whole movie nobody was naked (laughs) yeah um and then instead of like capitalizing on this setup of him starting to realize and his vanity having drawn him into this cult or like comment commenting on them being sick and twisted for luring him in through this you know you know his great passion is to write and be a successful writer or whatever anything like that they just skip over any sort of character arc development intrigue anything in favor of him fighting his naked self and then breastfeeding and i just it's stupid and bad yeah it's as i said like i would love this movie made by somebody like denis villeneuve or, you know, um, even like uh, Prime Ridley Scott or something, where somebody who's really comfortable in the sci-fi sphere or Afonso Cuaron, um, like a Children of Men style 
feel to this movie could have been really interesting um we do not get any of that we set up a couple interesting ideas and there's even a moment where in the most basic flat terms a guy is sitting there and i thought the direction this was going to go for a while was if you create a double with the perfect memories and perfect you how do you know which is which and i thought that was going to be something and then a character literally just flat out asks that question with no tact or nuance or development they just ask it they all go haha that'd be crazy never talk about it again yeah and it's like well that you're setting up these interesting ideas but never following through never coming yeah. back to them never and it's just for the sake them. of the nudity like, yeah and that's all it in place of it is really weird gross sex scenes instead of developing any sort of concepts yeah and like we've talked about it before he's prudish he doesn't like any sex scenes really in any movies i am not prudish <laughs> i don't care but this one if it's so nasty that i have to look away it's it's gross like yeah, yeah. um i would rate this one a 0.5 because <laughs> parts of it are pretty almost occasionally that's it yeah i'll give it i'll give it a, a 0.5 as well yeah Just... this is our worst rated movie we've ever seen yeah, I I really, I it's not only an active like I don't want to watch this again or I wouldn't recommend this, but I can see why someone I don't get why anybody wants to watch this or enjoys this type of movie. It's concerning that these types of movies exist to some extent because I think they are really gross and reductive in that. Especially, I mean, I guess there is a fair bit of male nudity, so it's not all female. But it's still, it's just this... Like, if you just want to put your fetishes in a movie, become a porn director. Stop becoming yeah. a real director just because your dad got you into Hollywood. It's yep. just, it's gross. But I guess this is a great thing for the people who crapped all over me on the internet for not liking the Mario <laughs> movie. Because this bumps it into second place for the worst <laughs> movie of the year. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, that's... Uh... That's Infinity Pool. That's on that. Hope to never think about it again, but it will haunt me forever. Yep. I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day. Let's mix things up a bit. You're just happy you found your fan club. All right. Thank you for listening to our episode this week. Make sure you follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Nerd and Normie and tune in every Monday for a new episode. And if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. And on audio platforms, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. Thank, Thank you. you.